0: Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church, located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... Pastor Chet Haney here with the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast and podcast from Highland Terrace Baptist Church, our studio here in the church office. We're joined today again by Susan Duke. Susan, thank you so much for being with us, and your uh, testimony in our last segment was amazing when you shared about the story of the gift that Thomas gave you even after he had already been called home to heaven by Jesus. Amazing story through the dream. I actually preached on dreams last Sunday. Did you? Yeah. You know, the Bible says in the latter days, um, your old men will dream dreams. This is our first Sunday in our new building. And so I use Psalm 126, which said, When God brought us back from captivity, we were like those who dream. And I was just talking about how this feels like a dream. It's like a dream come true for us right now to be moving on from the tornado and into this new chapter of our church life in our brand new building and uh, your dream of uh thomas giving that uh, amazing gift to you the star and how you uh shared with us that even the title of that story seemed to be ordained by the lord mm-hmm. uh through you know through the touch of his hand upon your life and upon your work Um, I'm sure the dream at first seemed like a nightmare.
1: Well, it did because I was crying in the dream. I was grieving in the dream. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that felt, I still felt the hand of God really on me the next morning. I felt strengthened somehow Hmm. and felt like. Uh, you know, we hear all things are possible between heaven and earth. And right. I know it was a dream. It was just a dream, but right. I, I do believe it was God given.
0: I'm sorry to um to go there with you now because I know it could be very painful. Uh but since you're here and so many of our listeners are going through similar circumstances in this life, you know, I um I always feel like I'm a pretty tough guy as long as nothing happens to my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they hurt, I hurt. And uh, I just can't imagine the pain of losing a child. And you've been through that. I want you to tell us a little bit about it as much as you're comfortable, Susan, and uh, how the hand of God helped you to get through that moment to um, the place where you are now, where you've embraced life and become such a uh, fruitful person who blesses so many others can you give us a little sure. summary of that story
1: it's um you know it's it's hard to keep it short because right. there's so many layers really of right. story when you're sure. talking about mm-hmm. a process of grief mm-hmm. and in the beginning i was just in such disbelief and you know i've been in ministry for a while in fact right. thomas had been with me uh, on a ministry trip just three weeks before in New Mexico. Wow. And God used him greatly in that time. Um, we ended up having a little church re- revival for the youth and saw several young people come to the Lord. We went to several schools. He was able to share his testimony about when he kind of walked away from the Lord, then he came back to the Lord. He wanted to be a youth pastor.
0: How exciting.
1: And uh had plans to go to college and do yeah. all that. So this... This accident happened just a few months after graduation. He graduated in May, and this was in uh, October. But anyway, when I heard the news and I realized what had happened, I, I, I'm going to be very honest and raw, and that's what I tried to do in the book, Grieving Forward. Mm-hmm. I did not want to whitewash grief, and literally I, I felt God's hand helping me write that book. There would be many times, you know, my husband would would listen to read something I'd written and he'd say, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about that. And I'd say, I didn't know about it either until I began to write it. It was like God brought up things and I knew I had to tell the truth. I had to go back in time and relive some of those moments that were not easy to live so that people could relate to what I was saying. But at the same time, I wanted to show the journey Mm -hmm. of hope. Throughout um, the book and the process, because in the beginning, I just felt like my my heart was gone. I bet I was breathing, but I was not living. I was mm-hmm. not alive. That first night, Harvey was on his way home from um, a working trip out of town, and he didn't know anything until he drove in the driveway. Oh my goodness! And people were there with me, and I just locked myself away in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. No lights was on the floor. <laughs> And I literally felt like I'm. it's over. It's mm-hmm. over. I always felt like part of my calling in life was to give out joy. Yeah. And people would say things like that to me. And it literally, I can't say I heard an audible voice, but it was like um, the enemy taunting me saying, that's over. Mm-hmm. Ministry's over. You're never going to sing again. You're never going to speak mm-hmm. again. You're never going to give out any joy again. And in those moments laying on that carpet, I believed it. I honestly believed it. But this is something that I've come away from that particular moment with Mm. in that experience is that our spirit man is stronger than our flesh. Amen. And I found myself pulling myself up by the bed sheets Mm. because I was so weak. Wow. And I remember standing in that floor... Mm. And I shook my fist and I said, devil, you've made the wrong mama mad. Wow. And I said, I know where my son is and he's alive and well in heaven. Amen. And as long as I have breath, he will have life still. And as long as I can give out hope to people, Mm -hmm. I will. And I. In the coming days after that, I uh, I have some kind of funny chapters in my book because I wanted to tell the truth. I have one called Beyond the Casserole. You know, after the casserole, is where, does everybody, where is everybody? Yep. <laughs> and then I have one called um, Please Don't Tell Me What I Don't Want to Hear. Mm-hmm. You know, all those little things. So I hope it's, it's kind of a guideline, too, to help people know how to minister to people who are there in great What
0: Greece. to say and what not to say.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I promised God I ran to books, I ran to anything because I thought mm-hmm. I don't know how to grieve normal. Uh, what is normal? Right. And, of course, there is no normal in grief. Everybody grieves individually. Mm-hmm. But um, I promised God if he would help me get to the other side of healing mm-hmm. that I would use the whole experience of everything to help others heal.
0: Bless your heart. Peter Kazera writes about embracing your grief. Mm-hmm. He says that if you can do this, it will make you more of a person, not less. Wrap yourself around it. Mm-hmm. Embrace it. It's not going away. Yeah, It's part of who you are now. So welcome it. Embrace it. And learn to, in some way, cherish it, which sounds messed up in a way. <laughs> But uh, is that sort of what you experienced in the process of learning to embrace life?
1: I believe so. And it's a long process. It didn't happen immediately, of course. I mean, six Mm -hmm. months down the road, I found that I was in worse shape than I was, I think, the first night because the reality has set in. And I found myself even feeling a little disappointed with God. Sure. Feeling like, okay, God, I thought we had an agreement here. Sure. I thought the the one thing you knew I could never survive would be right. losing one of my children. Right. And yet here I was. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: I have a book in my other room in here called The God Who Let Me Down. Yeah. And it's written by Susan von Balkenberg, mm-hmm. who actually runs a farm of tree houses mm. out here in Merritt. Mm-hmm. And her father was on flight eleven that oh, hit no. the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. She's been on our podcast mm-hmm. uh more than once, and um I'm sure you feel this, you have to, you know because we pray and we trust God we do to take care of our kids
1: yeah and you know, and I didn't know why the other boys survived, and Thomas did not. I didn't understand why God kind of instructed us to give one of the boys that was kind of responsible for the wreck a Bible with his name on it. Mm-hmm. And uh I still don't know. And one of the things that I cover in the book is that, you know, there are whys in this life that we're never going to have an answer to this side of heaven. Right. And when we get to heaven, it won't matter anymore. <laughs> right. So you you come to a place of acceptance and realizing, as you said, it's part of the tapestry of your life. Yeah. And what do you want to do with that? I didn't want to be known as the grief lady. Yeah. I didn't want I I didn't want that to be my defining title or label. Right. And uh I didn't want every every time somebody saw me out in a restaurant to say that's the lady that's grieving or and I sure didn't want to have a grief support group. Mm. But <laughs> a lady that read another story actually in a book of humor um But I had one story in there called The Sky is Falling about Thomas. And after she lost her son, someone gave her a stack of books. She found that story. I met her one day. One time she recognized me from the picture on the back of the book. Really? Came to me and said, did you write a story in a book called Courage for the Chicken-Hearted? And I said, yes. She said, little do you know that... Someone gave me that book, and I thought, how ridiculous that someone's given me a book of humor. Huh. But I found this one story in there about you losing your son. Wow. And she said, I had my letters written. I didn't hmm. want to live this life anymore wow. after living losing my son. Yeah. And she said that was the first light I'd felt from that story. My and goodness. I promised God if he'd let me meet you, and here we are in Walmart at the... At the picture booth where you get pictures done.
0: And she knew you by your,
1: she knew me by the picture portrait. And she said, I would beg you to start a support group and I would beg you to write a book on grief. Mm-hmm. Well, I had not written the book yet, uh-huh. but I had started my notes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I said, Oh, I, I don't think I'm equipped to do that. I can't, I can't do a grief support group. Mm-hmm. She said, will you just pray about it? And I said, I will. Well, I didn't intend to ever think about it again, (laughs) you know, if I'm going to tell the truth. And uh, all of a sudden, I I was in a different town, and I met her in an aisle of a store. Hmm. She said, are you still praying about starting that support group? (laughs) And I said, well, I haven't thought much about it. She said, keep praying. And I ran into her one more time, and I thought, okay, Hmm. I'll do it one time. I'm going to have one meeting, yeah. and that was my kind of bargaining chip with God. I'm going to do one, and there was a lady there that scared me to death that was so in such grief and anger and had been there for 20 years. I said, God, please don't make me ever have to do this again, hmm. and <clears throat> we had talked about anger, and she had seen her – um her sister be murdered.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: And every year she had to write a letter to the parole board to keep the man oh in prison. My goodness! Awful. And I said, Oh, I don't know how. I don't know how you're sitting in that chair. I don't blame you for how you're feeling.
0: How awful!
1: But so I never expected to hear from her again. And it was at the end of the meeting, and I thought, Well, I'm never going to see these people again. I'm just going to move out on what I feel like God's saying. And I called her by name, and I said, I'm going to come back to you, because I've never met these people that that were there. It was held at the library, the first meeting. And I said, you know, I told you that it's okay to be angry because God's got big shoulders, and he does. He makes us emotional beings, and I understand your anger. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what's not okay. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to stay angry for 20 years. No. Because... You're allowing the man that took the life of your sister Mm -hmm. to also take yours. Right. She's bitter. Do you want to give him that power? Mm -hmm. She didn't say a word. I I literally was shaking driving home that night, and I said, God, thank you. I don't ever have to do that again.
0: That was a hard truth to say. Yes. Hard for her to hear, but necessary. Hard for her to hear.
1: I got an Mm -hmm. email the next morning. It started out, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're the first one that's ever addressed my anger.
0: If you hadn't been so direct, she might not have heard you.
1: No. And she said, I want to meet with you at Cracker Barrel for breakfast. So I met her about a week later. and She said, I want to talk to you about the next meeting. She said, I've taken my life back. I've started cooking for people. I'm taking wow. casseroles and desserts and things to people because I love to cook. I've laid all that down. So I want to make the desserts for our next meeting. And I said, oh, honey, I don't think there's going to be another meeting. (laughs) I said, I I agreed to do one, and I don't think I can do another one. Mm -hmm. And she said, excuse me.
0: (laughs) Now it's her turn to be direct.
1: And she said, it helped me. How many more people can it help? Yeah. And there's more to the story, and there's a chapter in the book called Heavenly Hound Dogs. Because when we had that next meeting, I said, you know, if God has to send the hounds from heaven to get you to do what he wants you to do, he will. He will. And she raised her little hand, and she said, I'm one of those heavenly hound dogs. Mm -hmm. So God has a way of, boy, when he shows up, he shows out.
0: (laughs) He does. And when he touches you with his mighty hand, you know it. Well, when we come back, if we could one more time,
1: okay, I want
0: you to tell our uh, listeners about Larry and Wolfie. Oh, That's wow. an incredible story <laughs> and I want everybody to hear it. And I'm just so appreciative. I'm so honored to have you here today. Thank you, Susan. Uh, thank you, Lord, for Susan and for the way that you have helped her by your grace and mercy to process through some very difficult chapters in her life all the way to a place of usefulness and blessing and service and love. She has served her way out of sadness. And I'm grateful, Lord, to have heard this story today. Pray that you will bless her again um, as we return uh, for our next session. Bless our listeners today, Lord. Whatever they may be dealing with, whatever they may be going through, whatever they may be trying to process, Lord, we don't even know, but you know. You know the details, and you know the hurt, and you know how to help them find their joy again. I pray, Father, our listeners will be touched today by your mighty hand. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chet. Do you know that uh, in our text today, we see the glory of God in the God of glory seated On a throne. And in his hand, there's a very special book. This book is actually in the form of a scroll, a rolled up writing on the front and on the back, written on the inside and on the out. And uh, there are seven seals on the scroll, and no one is found worthy to open the scroll or to read the scroll. And uh, why was it necessary to open the scroll? It was necessary because this book on a scroll contains the eternal destiny of the human race. And uh, for every family, for every language group, for every people group, for every nation to really know freedom... The seals of this scroll had to be opened. And so what did they do? They searched high and low, literally. They searched in heaven. No one could be found worthy to open the scroll. They searched on earth. They searched under the earth. And because no one could be found worthy to open the scroll, the Bible says John began to weep. In fact, the Bible describes uncontrollable weeping. In verse 4, he says, I wept much and why was he weeping why the tears the tears of john the apostle expressed and represented the grief of mankind when freedom falls short of our grasp and and the bible says he wept much When there's no freedom, there's no peace of mind and heart, there's no hope, there's no solution, John's tears expressed the tears of Adam and Eve in the garden. When they found themselves suddenly under the dominion of sin, slaves to sin, they had been free, and now they were not any longer because of sin, and they wept these tears of John expressed the tears of Israel under the bondage of Egyptian captors who tormented them. The Bible says their cries rose to the ears of God in heaven. These tears represent the tears and the grief of every person who's ever stood at a casket and with a broken heart had to say goodbye to someone. That you love. The tears of John. He wept much and he expressed the brokenness and the hopelessness that freedom could be so close and still not found. Did you hear me describe last week those little girls sold off the farm to be sex slaves in Tokyo? Can you imagine their tears every night longing to go home to their Mothers and fathers back in the rural countryside of, of Japan. The men who had to pull the oars in the galleys. The slaves on the plantation in the American South. The people languishing in prison. The folks who dream of being free, but no freedom can be found. John wept much. And all of a sudden, there was an interruption to his weeping. Because one of the elders said, wait, there's hope. There's the lion of Judah and he has prevailed to open the scrolls for the prisoner, for the captive. For the enslaved, there's victory for the defeated. And the Bible says, John looked up in the midst of the throne, and what did he see? He saw a lamb as though having been slain. Having been slain. He was dead, formerly dead, but he's not dead anymore. Now he's alive forevermore, and he has seven horns that reveal in the book of Revelation power and authority with the number of divine completion. Here is a lamb who is worthy. He has the power to open the scroll. He has the authority to open the scroll. This is none other than the Son of God. Totally qualified in verse 7. The Bible says he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is the mighty hand of God the Father. And if this seems like a dramatic moment, it is. This is the greatest event in our future. This is the highest drama of the book of Revelation. The most significant thing that God ever gave us was our freedom. And in this scroll, all the answers to all the prayers of all the saints are contained. All the hope of all men. Sin is judged. Satan and his satanic demons are cast down. Man is set free. Christ is glorified. And as we come to Jesus, who is the only one found who could open the scroll, we remember him with cup in hand. And the reason we do this today is for this reason. Freedom is not free. It isn't. And we remember this today. Verses 9 and 10 express it in the song that was sung to Jesus, the new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Cleve McClary was a soldier in Vietnam who had 12 men in his squad and under heavy fire grenades Four of his men were killed. Cleve McClary lost his eye and his right arm, was airlifted out by a helicopter, and recovered in an army hospital for many months until he was taken back home and he became a Christian. Now he tells his story everywhere of the, the grace And the power of God and his buddies in his platoon before he left Vietnam gave him a plaque. And on the plaque, this is the words they wrote. In this world of give and take, there are very few who give what it takes. Uh, This morning, we're going to remember a Savior who gives what it takes for us to have freedom in him? And so by this bread, as you open your cup on the bread side, uh, we remember today the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom they sang, "You were slain." We remember that freedom is not free, and he is worthy. By this cup, as we open it, we remember this morning, freedom is not free. And we open this cup for God today. Because this experience and this moment and this service is for him. This remembrance and this worship is for him. He is worthy. But like Memorial Day, the Lord's suffer imposes a question upon us. Is this the church that Christ died for? Am I the disciple Jesus died for? My devotion, my discipline, my discipleship? Listen, he is worthy of our full devotion. And we remember that as we take this cup. In Le Croix de Bois, Richard Bernard only used veterans as his actors. No professional actors were chosen to uh, reenact the, the battles. Only veterans who knew exactly how to march and exactly how a grenade was supposed to be thrown. And because of this, there was a staggering realism. In the movie in 1932, to those who saw it, they'd never seen anything quite like it. And, uh, as they were making the movie, uh, there, there were gripping battle scenes in France where many of the folks in the towns would gather around to watch and, and it all looked too familiar. In fact there was one man watching who burst into tears because it just reminded him of what he had seen before because he was there before. And you know what the veterans said who were in the movie? They said, "We don't have to act to be in this movie. We're not acting, we're remembering." And uh, toward the end of the film there were two parades. There was one victory parade where people were throwing flowers and singing the praises of the survivors. And then the other parade was the wooden crosses making their way up a hill toward the sky. Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives through...